One of the hardest things to do when hardship hits is to trust. It's hard to trust when somebody hurts you. It's hard to trust when those who are supposed to be there for you aren't. And it's hard to trust God when he doesn't remove the hardship from your life. And yet one thing we know is that a life without trust can be one of paranoia, fear, and loneliness. So how can we learn to trust when so much in life is untrustworthy? Our guest Donna's capacity to trust was hit hard when somebody that was close to her family hurt her in such a way that it utterly changed the course of her life. Only a teenager, she found herself now having to carry things she never should have had to carry and often doing so while feeling abandoned by others. So it became hard for her to know who she could trust. But then there was God who was with her in the midst and she came to know that he was faithful enough to be trusted. You're listening to episode 157 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for these opportunities that you're bringing for conversation. I thank you that even though Donna and I have never met, this is the first time where we're talking, we're confident that you can bring something from this conversation, that you could show up in a way that we couldn't have orchestrated on our own. And so to that end, we want to just release our thoughts and our words and our plans, all of these things, we release it to you because we know you could do abundantly more with it. And we know you could do a lot more through this conversation than we could expect. So we give it to you. We thank you in advance for how you will work. And we just thank you for the opportunity to serve you in this way. All this we pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Donna, I am excited to talk to you. And before we jump in, mm-hmm. for those that are listening, what would you want them to know about who you are? Mm. I want people to know that I believe big. Mm. I think that's probably, and I am a messenger of hope. Yeah. And hope is one of those topics that can feel sparse when someone's in a space of sitting in suffering, Mm -hmm. right? Because in the worst of suffering, it can feel like hope is far, far away. But that's one thing you've been pressing into is actually no hope is present. And so as you've been thinking about this conversation and this topic of suffering, what's God been bringing to your heart? One of my passions is to help people to rise above the pain and disappointment of life. Mm -hmm. For me personally, when I've been going through difficult times, that's when my hope is biggest. Yeah. Doesn't feel sparse. Mm -hmm. It feels big and energizing Mm -hmm. and healing and comforting. To me, hope is all those things. And I've been through some stuff, (laughs) which we may or may not get into, but (laughs) When I am in those places, that's when hope is our lifeline. Mm. It is our strength. Without it, why bother? Mm. Tell me a little bit more about how you got to that place of being able to hold that hope. Because I know in some of the conversations I've had, there are people that have found themselves in the opposite place of feeling hopelessness. Mm. And later on, they came to realize, no, actually, where I thought there was no hope, There actually was hope, and now they operate in a different way. How did you get to the place where you were able to recognize that hope is always present? Well, just a little bit about my story. 
I grew up in a Christian home that was somewhat religious, which is a story probably for another time, <laughs> what I mean by that. But right. at the age of 14, someone that was close to my family hurt me and I found myself pregnant. Mm. So I am a 15-year-old mother with all of the emotions that you can imagine, hopelessness, yeah. anger, resentment, fear, self-doubt, insecurities. You know, remember when you were 15, everything we feel is like intensified. Mm -hmm. But because I had developed or was developing a relationship with God, personal, not my parents' God, but me, mm -hmm. he was all I had. This was in the days before there were phones, internet, all of those kind of things. And so there was no social media. There was no friends to connect out. I was totally isolated. And the only thing I had was God. Because of that desperation, I have built a foundation I doubt is shakable anymore mm. of knowing that God has proved himself over and over. I mean, I literally, there were days I said, God, you promised your seed wouldn't beg for bread. Don't know how we're eating today. Mm -hmm. It was at a very young age that I began to apply and walk out and make real God's word, not just something I visited on a Sunday. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about your story is a lot of the times the way that we approach these kind of things in life is that, oh, you just need to do this. Or if you just understand that, if we just increase our knowledge, but you were in this hard place at the age of 15, right? And the human brain doesn't fully develop until you're in your 20s. And so that means you're in a space where you're actually not fully capable of understanding all these nuances, of capturing all these things. Again, that could lead somebody to feel hopeless, but what you're pointing out is the reality that God meets us in those spaces. Yes. In other words, he doesn't need us to be the smartest one in the room. He doesn't mm -hmm. need us to be the most spiritual in the room. He just invites us to be in the room what were some of the ways that you began to actually recognize, oh, wow, God actually is with me? What were some of those moments where it went from, all right, I'm going to trust God, but I don't know, to, oh, my goodness, I, this God guy is actually real? <laughs> well, well, the food was an example. Mm. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to eat, how I'm going to pay all the bills. It was a daily thing of trusting God to take care of me, mm -hmm. when on the other hand, my trust had been pretty much shattered yeah. and didn't want to trust anyone. Yeah. So it was this give and pull of learning. And I wish I had taken time to write down all of the, I call them miracles, mm -hmm. those moments mm -hmm. where it's like, wow, that was God Yeah. that happened, but I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't write all those down, but there were a lot of those kind of situations of, I remember when I met my future husband, I was 18 and he said it startled him because I said, God never fails. And when I look at a person who's 18, that's quite an interesting statement mm -hmm. to say, mm -hmm. that, you know, God never fails. He always comes through. He is faithful. Yeah. I don't know how I knew it, but I began to really know it, I believe, because of the desperation and the amount of pain I was in. Mm -hmm. I said things like, God, make it better. Yeah. Or daddy, make it better. Mm -hmm because I developed that kind of relationship and I could have gone the other direction. Yeah. I easily have gone the other direction. There was a pull to be what everybody said about me <laughs> and they weren't pleasant words, right. 
all of the things. There was a pull to be, but I didn't. I chose to follow what God said and do it his way. Mm. And that's what's brought me to where I am today. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that piece of the pull to be what others said about you, because as you were talking, I was thinking you knew that what you were going through was not because of something you did, but because of something somebody did to you. But everyone looking at you and just seeing a teenager with a child, they're going to form their own opinions. And it made me think about something that I thought about last month, which was what Mary must have gone through. Yes. Because in a similar way, she found herself at a very young age with child and it wasn't her doing, it wasn't her choice. That was a different situation, right? She wasn't hurt, but it didn't change the fact that everyone else was looking at her and making assumptions. Absolutely. Have you found that that's kind of deepened your ability to even engage with that story and to engage with other stories like that in a different way because of your experience? Most likely. I remember one of my biggest desires when I was that age, I can't wait to where my responsibility equals my age Hmm. because I didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there was no 18 year old that had a three year old. Yeah. And so wanting my responsibility level, because I wasn't really interested in doing whatever 18 years old were doing at the time, but I had my own apartment working full time, going to school at night and raising a child. Mm -hmm. That isn't quote normal (laughs) for most 18 year olds. I began to really heal on the inside, probably after I was married and involved in a church mm-hmm. and they had some stuff to deal with soulish healing and things that had happened is when I really began to heal. But I had developed a relationship with God that has brought me through other situations in my lifetime. Now I'm a grandmother mm-hmm. and that is my biggest desire is to teach my grandkids a legacy of living from the place of the unseen, Mm -hmm. of trusting God, because that's what faith is. Faith is not something we see Mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, faith is something we see on the inside. Yeah. And that's such an important legacy to give because as you experienced, you don't know what's going to happen in life. You know, you don't know if somebody that you thought you could trust suddenly, you can't trust them anymore. And for some people, they find themselves in a place where they have nothing to grab onto in those moments. And that's where they can end up feeling hopeless. For you, you were starting to develop this personal relationship with God. So even though you didn't fully know (laughs) all of what that meant, all of who he was, Mm -hmm. there was still, it's like, I'm grabbing anything I can grab. This is something I could grab. And it held firm Mm -hmm. because it was God. And for you to be able to now convey the reality of who God is and his love to your grandchildren, right? So that whatever life throws at them, they are now aware that that rope is there. Even if they don't always look for it, even if they don't always reach for it, they at least know now that the rope's there. That is a powerful legacy to give. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that, as you noted, it was this progressive thing that what God did in that space has built up to kind of carry you through more challenges in life. And you talked about how you deepened your trust in God. And you also mentioned that it was at a time where you didn't feel like you could trust others. What was that part of your journey like, where at some point you had to start to figure out, how can I trust others? Who can I trust? How did you navigate that part? Mm, trial and error. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, let's just be really honest. But one example is when I met my husband, we have now been married 38 years. Mm-hmm. So when I met my husband, it was in the time frame where the wedding vows and traditional churches had something about wives obeying their husbands. Mm -hmm. 
as we were reading over the vows and deciding what we wanted to say, I said to him, I will never say I'm going to obey you because I'm not promising to do that. Mm. And I said it with a little bit of sass, you know, in there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if I got to really the root of it is, is I'm going to see if I can trust you. Yeah. How far I can trust you. Because to me, there's a difference between obedience and submission. Mm -hmm. To me, obedience is forced and people can argue that whether that's true or not. But that had been my raising. When I had to obey my parents, it was forced. It wasn't a choice. And so I didn't want that kind of relationship with my husband was what I was really saying. I want this to be a partnership, not where I'm forced. Mm -hmm. There had been enough forced in my life. Mm -hmm. And so he knew me at that point and understood where I was. He knew my whole story and he knew where I was coming from. But it was just a case. But man, I was adamant. I can't not promise that I will obey you. And he laughs because I probably never have. (laughs) (laughs) But learning how to trust in relationships, I think is something every one of us grows in because people fail us. And how do we work through forgiveness? And what does that mean? Does that mean I have to trust them? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. They're two things. But learning how to build that. Now, the calling on my life, I'm not just influencing my grandchildren. I am touching people around the world with the ministry he's called me to. And if I would have ever been told that as that young 15, 16, 18, 20 year old woman, I would have never believed it. Mm. But it's been a journey of step by step helping me grow, not just in my trust for who he is, but in who I am. Mm -hmm. And somehow we still hear all of those negative, fearful thoughts, Right. we doubt ourselves on what God is capable of doing in and through us. I had one minister who was praying for me say, Donna, God has a gift for you, Hmm. and you are a gift to the world, to this Christian community. But the person who's going to be most surprised about what's in the gift is you. (laughs) And that's been true. Yeah. Because I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I didn't know this was part something I could do. I mm-hmm. did never see this. Mm-hmm. And so having a relationship with God is that kind of journey where God surprised me again today. Mm-hmm. It's fresh and new and giving him opportunities to stretch you, stretch and grow in areas that we didn't think we could do. Mm-hmm. And see when it's just such a loving partnership of learning how to build that relationship. Yeah. This idea of trust, the more we talk about it, the more I realize how important it is to this conversation of sitting and suffering because it's woven throughout it, right? Whether it is the scenario in which you did trust someone and they betrayed that trust or the scenario in which I think of a recent guest who found himself in the midst of some hefty addictions and his wife and friends were saying, man, you've got to stop doing this or you you need to get help and he didn't trust them Mm -hmm. or this idea of trusting God times we don't trust him because he didn't fix the situation I wanted him to fix. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if he's trustworthy. And then, man, the powerful statement you made about our ability to trust or not trust ourselves, who God has made us to be. And I resonate with that because there were moments in my life where significant things were spoken against who I actually am. And it's hard for me even to this day at moments to actually trust that I can do something that God's invited me to do. And so Man, this idea of trust is so deep. I pulled up the definition. I mean, we know what trust is, but sometimes it's fun to pull up the definition to actually get some robustness to it. 
The Oxford Dictionary says it's a firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. And I think what's so hard about trust is for God, he can check off all those boxes reliably. He is able, he is strong enough, like he is trustworthy. But for people, we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. So we're going to drop the ball. And so that's why you mentioned with a laugh, but I think it's true. You had to step into some trial and error. Mm -hmm. There are times where we have to choose to trust someone knowing that they might hurt us. And we have to choose to not trust someone and know that that's not an act of not loving them, but it's an act of wisdom. What have you learned about trust now that you're 38 years into the marriage, you've had all these conversations with people who have also been hurt. How do you see trust differently now than you did 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago? I guess the biggest difference is I have a history of knowing somehow it's going to work out. A mm. couple of things I want to mention. One of the things that I've learned is God is not really interested in our circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so many of our prayers are about changing our circumstances. And when when we get disappointed at God, we're usually because he didn't change our circumstances the way we think he should have. Yeah. And God is not really interested in circumstances. He's interested in us. Mm -hmm. We're the focal point of his interest. And I'm not saying he's causative of some of the things that happen in this world because we live in a fallen world, but he doesn't always do it the way we think he should. And that when I focus on whether he changed, it isn't changing it, it's changing me Mm -hmm. so that I can grow in trust because sometimes it's trusting when we don't know. This didn't turn anything out. My brother is a firm example of that right now. During COVID, he lost his wife, Mm. prayed that God would heal her. And it didn't happen. Right. So what do you do in those moments when it doesn't make sense? Mm-hmm. One of the things that the revelations I received is if Jesus and God is my king, I give up the right that I have to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is a deep, a huge deep. I remember sitting it, it happened like two weeks before and I'm sitting with him in a service Listening to songs about trusting God and that he's faithful and true and he lost his wife and how that the depth of sitting there with him in that moment of, I don't understand. I lost the woman of my life and I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So there are moments like that where we just let go. I don't understand right now, God, but I'm going to trust you anyway, that somehow you're going to take care of me and work this out. Mm So there are moments like that. One of the things you mentioned, you've used the phrase a couple of times, sitting in our suffering. And if I may disagree with you, I don't particularly (laughs) like that phrase. Mm -hmm. The reason why is sometimes we just sit and they said in Psalms 23, I walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. And so it's a walking motion. I'm moving forward, not sitting Mm -hmm. For me, that visual is different. Mm-hmm. I'm not sitting in my suffering. I'm moving through life with God. And there may be suffering in the path. There may be trials. There may be things I don't understand. But it's a walk. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times I have personally, I'll admit to it, camped out in my suffering. I built a tent and I stayed there. And then this is awful. And we can do that for a little while. Mm-hmm. 
but to sit in it for very long is not going to help us to really move forward and to develop faith and trust. And so we can learn and grow through our difficulties. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There is a previous guest that was actually a firm no to being in this season because that phrase sat with him in the same kind of a way. Yeah. And he's like, Absolutely. I'm not, I don't want to sit, like, I don't believe in the theology of sitting in that space. And so I'm glad you bring it up because it's worth mentioning over and over and over that the invitation in these spaces, well, actually, let me word it this way. We need to actually step back and say, what is the invitation in this space? Yeah. And in our humanity, sometimes it is like, oh, I feel like I just want to sit. I don't want to keep on going through this. I don't want to think about this anymore. I want to numb myself. Mm Mm-hmm. And what God's actually inviting us to is to seek him. Yep. And part of my story is, well, I'm not going to tell the story, but one visual that had come back to is a time when I felt like I was in a pit and I couldn't get out of it. I didn't know what to do. And I felt like all I could do was sit. And that felt like awfulness too. And so I felt hopeless until I realized that Jesus was in the pit with me. Mm-hmm. What's beautiful is there are seasons where there is a waiting. Yes. But even in those seasons where we're not functionally moving forward because God said to wait, there is something active in being in communion with God, being in connection with God. And so, you know, we've got to learn to recognize that invitation. And part of that comes from trust, trusting that God is with us, trusting that God does see us, that God does know us. And there's something you said that I really appreciate. It was a very simple idea of knowing that you're able to trust because you know it's going to work out. And what I loved about it is immediately evoked in me the reality that that's something that Jesus had to operate with because he chose to trust disciples that he knew weren't necessarily going to be trustworthy. In fact, at times he knew how they were going to be untrustworthy. Yes. And yet he entrusted responsibilities to them because he knew that there was something bigger at play that was going to work out. He knew that Judas's betrayal or Peter's denial wasn't going to thwart God's major plan. Right. In fact, God was going to work for good what others may have intended for evil. Right. That's an important part of it because we may be willing to trust, but there's a part of us that's saying, just so far as it actually works out for me, <laughs> just so far as things actually go well. But sometimes we're invited to trust And it might not work out all in the way that we want, but when we have faith in God, we can know, but God can do what he is going to do. You know, we're talking about all this and there may be somebody that's listening that's like, that's great for you to say, but you don't know what I've been through and I just don't know that I can trust anymore. Mm -hmm. How can someone build up that ability to trust, whether it's trusting God or trusting others? The Bible verse that I used for that statement is all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so somehow this is going to work out for my good. When I begin to focus on that Bible verse and whatever translation you want to read it in, it's all similar, is I begin to look for the gift. Mm -hmm. I begin to look for how is this going to work out for my good? And when I have shifted my focus to begin to look for the blessings, looking for the way out, looking for the answers, or I could pull the covers over my head, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm done, kind of feeling, and I'm going to numb myself with whatever means, staying busy, eating, exercising, all the things that we do 
addictive behaviors, all kinds of things that we do to numb ourselves and say, I'm not going to trust. And whichever way we go, it's simply choosing where we're going to focus. I read a book that was a visual of this. And it is a visual of, I want everybody to picture a spotlight shining on you. Mm -hmm. Wherever you are, there's a spotlight and the light is God. And things happen in life and you begin to pivot just a little bit. I wonder if God really will. I wonder if this will really work out. And you begin to pivot till finally your back is to the spotlight. And in those moments, we say, God, where are you? Where are you? I'm in the dark. Where are you? And I'm the one that's turned. Mm. He hasn't. When we're in those moments, we get to choose which way are we going to turn? Are we going to turn toward hope or hopelessness? Mm -hmm. It's all in what I choose to focus on. I can focus on all the crap that's gone wrong and all the ways it should have happened and all the people that's failed me and hurt me. And I can keep focusing there. And then I've camped. Mm -hmm. That's the difference for me is that then I've camped there. But if I just make a little turn, God, help me. Help me to believe. Mm -hmm. Help me to see you. And as I begin to turn back toward the spotlight, which in my analogy is God, you begin to see things differently because you're not facing the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so it's this idea that even just starting with the simple act of learning to trust God, it can actually change how we see everything else. Mm -hmm. Because it can feel overwhelming to say, all these people have hurt me, so I don't even know where to start. And what you're saying is, well, start with God. Right. But there's something else that you brought up that I think is really important too, and has been a recurring theme. You made the comment that a lot of healing began to happen after you got married and you were in this healthy relationship with your husband and you were in this relationship with your church. And so tell me about the role of community in helping you to rebuild the capacity to trust. Hmm. I guess that was a part of it. But the biggest place was some of the programs that they had available to participate in. Hmm. But even in that, it was a group setting. And even in that group, there was a lot of stuff that I did not share publicly. Yeah. That I shared only with God. Yeah. At that point in my life, I knew he was trustworthy. And I just it felt really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I know you understand. It's just like it felt too vulnerable. And now I share those stories all over the place. <laughs> but in the middle of it, there was a couple people in the group that I personally shared with, but on the larger scale, mm -hmm. it was too vulnerable yeah. for where I was at that time. Yeah. Now I can share the story easily because it doesn't hurt anymore. Mm -hmm. The vulnerability, I'm not vulnerable about it anymore. So there is this healing process to be able to share yeah. are those moments. And it's okay just to have whoever you can, but don't do it alone, completely alone. Mm -hmm. Because when we're wounded, isolation happens mm -hmm. and we can be in a crowd and be isolated. Right. My walls are up and they're big and thick. Yeah. Yeah. And so learning to be vulnerable with someone it was part of that growth in the community, but it was a very small community for mm -hmm. me in, while I was in the middle of the healing process. Yeah. And I think it's good for people to hear that and understand that it doesn't have to be from zero to a hundred <laughs> right. with how you share and what you share and to how many you share. It can be those simple steps because the core of what you said is 
you don't need to do it alone and, and you shouldn't do it alone. Right. You know, so even if it's one person, two people, it doesn't have to grow to the point where it has for you, where it, hundreds of people can hear your message now, right? right? It doesn't have to do that for everyone. But no, it does not. God has called us to community, even if that community is small. And I do want to make sure I leave space for this question because we've been talking about how to grow in our trust of God and how to grow in trusting others. But again, you mentioned this beautiful piece of we can struggle to trust ourselves. And so how did you grow in that ability to trust in who God's made you to be and who he's calling you to be? Sometimes doing it afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's probably part of it. And also, as I begin to make this transition to be more visible in the ministry he's called me to, having someone to talk through why I'm afraid. And so I have a coach that was helping me at that time to work through what were my fears about being visible and completely being vulnerable and what did that mean? Mm -hmm. I continue to have people that I talk to. It's not something that you you outgrow Mm -hmm. because we can't see our own blind spots. We just can't. And so that was part of the process for me is what did I think was going to happen when I was completely vulnerable and visible doing things like my own podcast Mm -hmm. and videos all around the world. It's like, people are not just hearing me, they're seeing me. And you know, what does that mean Mm -hmm. for you? So being visible for me meant criticism from my childhood. For my childhood, before my teenage years, you know, it meant somebody was going to make fun of me. It meant somebody was going to reject me. It meant all of those things. And I'm not six years old on the playground anymore. Mm -hmm. But that kind of feeling was still rearing its head. And so learning how to rewrite that story is what my coach helped me walk through. What is happening when you're visible now? Well, people are loving it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, rewriting the message that's remember when I talked about the labels that have been placed on us Mm -hmm. that people said about us Mm -hmm. and somehow we believe them and that part of us that wants to keep us safe and then trusting and praying before every time I would do one. It's like, okay, God, shine through me, Mm -hmm. work with me. This is a partnership. I don't ever want to do this alone and just touch people's lives. That's what my heart is. Just touch people's lives. It's bigger than me, but begin to believe in me. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was standing in front of a group. God has told me I was be speaking to large groups since I was 20, and I wouldn't even talk in front of a group of people, <laughs> let alone at stage, yeah. and super insecure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got journals back from those days, and I've written it down. So it's been probably 30 years I've been writing mm-hmm. this. <laughs> and so... I remember standing on a stage and doing this and it was kind of like I had this moment on the inside going, you really like this, don't you? You're having fun. Do you see that you're having fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe I'm having fun. Right, right. <laughs> and so it's just learning to trust that actually when God says something, he knows us better than we know ourselves mm-hmm. and that we do have capabilities that we're not aware of. Yeah. And looking at it, it's a fun journey to experience. I love to use the phrase, let's turn fear into excitement. Mm -hmm. It's all in my focus. Mm -hmm. Fear is something bad's going to happen. And excitement or faith is it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Let's see what it looks like and have fun while we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of fear has come up a few times in conversations. And it's this tension of recognizing that there are things 
that we could be afraid of. There are frightening things, and yet we're constantly given the invitation in scripture to fear not. Mm -hmm. So when you have the shepherds and they look up and there's this host of angels all around them, or anytime an angel appeared, they were understandably afraid because here is an angelic being, something I'd never seen before that's towering over me. I know I'm unworthy, right? Like, and yet they say, fear not. So there are frightening things. And yet we've been given the invitation and the capacity to not succumb to that fear. And when it comes to trusting ourselves, it's interesting. I've been reading through the story of Moses this month, mm -hmm. and it's very relevant to even the story you just shared, mm -hmm. because God was giving him an invitation to speak before a lot of people. And he's like, not me. <laughs> nope. Yep. And it's understandable because he knew his capacity to speak. He also knew his desire to not speak in front of crowds. He knew the risks. If he went back to Egypt, yeah. he would get killed, right? Like he knew all these reasons that were pretty solid logic of why this is a bad <laughs> idea. And so this brings us back to this idea of trusting God, right? Because that is what he was being invited to do. As you noted, when God says, I want to invite you to something to say, I don't like this idea. I don't think I can do it, but I'm going to turn this fear into excitement and step in because you know more than I do about myself in this situation. And I love that you started all of that with sometimes we have to just go in with some timidity <laughs> because if we wait until we're not afraid anymore, then sometimes we're going to be waiting a long time. You know, it's like the person that's about to do a bungee jump. Most people are going to still be feeling that fear mm -hmm. all the way up to the point where they jump and <laughs> as they fall. But there's a difference between a fear that controls you and a fear that you choose to control. Right. It could still be there, but now you're not being ruled by it. And that's how we can grow in our trust of God, trust of others, trust in ourselves is to take those little steps mm -hmm. in the next best direction that we feel like God's inviting us and to see what happens because... Even if we step wrong, like you said, it's going to work out. Right. God's not going to be like, whoops, you made the wrong step. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> He's going to do like Jesus did with Peter. Like, hey, yeah, you denied me. Now, feed my sheep. Right. <laughs> He's going to come back to us. So, you know, let's say somebody's listening and they're in a, a similar place as you were where something happened. Maybe it was in their youth, something very traumatic happened and it really impacted their capacity to trust. And they feel like they're sitting in a space of suffering. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them if you could say something? And I've been there. That's the first thing. I understand that overwhelming pain and hopelessness. And I don't know, I'm hearing the word grief perhaps. Mm -hmm. And grief isn't just death. It's a loss of something that mattered. And so it can be all kinds of situations. And I understand, and I just invite you to just turn your face a little toward the light mm. and just ask for help. Where's the help for me? How do I find it? And just ask. Yeah. Another thing you could do is reach out to me. I talk to people every day. So that would be another invitation is to talk to someone so that you're not sitting there alone. When I have my blinders on because mm -hmm. I'm in so much pain. It's hard for me to see the light. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need someone's hand to help us see. Yeah. And if someone did want to connect with you or with some of the things that you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? My website is the easiest way to connect. There is a schedule button and you can schedule a coffee chat. So it's just two people chatting and getting to know each other. And then there's free books and blogs and podcasts and resources that are available there as well. 
And uh, my website is ivibrantliving.com. The ministry is Vibrant Living International. And as we close out, is there anything else that God's putting on your heart that you feel led to share? No matter where you find yourself, there's always hope. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in Him, new life in Him. There are so many points in the story of the Israelites where they found it hard to trust God and others. Some of this was understandable, when armies were ahead of them and it seemed like they had no way to escape. And some of this was on them, as over and over they chose to live in a way that was not honoring to God. Either way, they often found themselves in a place where they were not trusting God, and in those seasons the hardships could seem too much. And this is why God often sought to encourage them through prophets like Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 17, we read this, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Many of the Israelites would have known the life cycle of a tree, would have seen how trees fared during drought, would have known moments where trees seemed fruitless. And so the idea of a tree that was impenetrable to the heat, that's leaves were always green, and that seemed to bear fruit even in periods of drought, would have seemed unreal to them. And yet this is what God was inviting them to. That if they trusted him, something unreal, something impossible could happen. That they could be in the worst of hardships, and yet God could provide and sustain. This invitation from God wasn't limited to the Israelites. It's an invitation that he has continued to give to us as well. I've often shared one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will set your paths straight. Verses like these fill the pages of the Bible and invite us to trust a God who knows us, loves us, and knows how reality actually works. He's the one who created the tree. And so he has full authority and ability to make that tree not affected by heat and drought. And he is the one who created us. So he has the authority and ability to carry us through even our hardest situations. But notice something important here. The tree is not removed from the hardship. The tree is still in the midst of the heat. It is still in the midst of the drought. And oftentimes our cries to God are to be removed from the heat and drought of our lives. But what if he's inviting us to stay because he wants others to see what it looks like when you trust God? It'd be the same as a farmer walking out into the dry, arid field expecting everything to be dead and suddenly seeing a fruitful green tree in the midst of the heat and the drought. He would be amazed because he knew he would be looking at an impossibility and yet there it was. And what if God wants others to look at us in the same way? that in the midst of our hardships, they would expect us to be broken, hopeless, angry, or afraid. And when instead they see us whole, hopeful, content, and courageous, they know something impossible is at play, and yet they can see it with their own eyes. We become a living testament to the power and love of God simply by allowing him to plant us wherever he wants to plant us and trusting that he will be the river that we need for thriving. In other words, 
We would want to be removed from the heat and the drought for our own comfort and safety, but perhaps we're being given an invitation to remain so that our lives can be testaments to what God is inviting everyone to. Your simple acts of trust can yield abundantly more than you could ever ask for or imagine. By trusting God, no matter how hard things get, your life can exhibit a fruitfulness that you could never have accomplished on your best of days. Now, as Donna shared, trust can be hard and it can take time. And fortunately, God is patient and understanding. So perhaps your invitation today is to practice trusting in a simple way, because even simple steps of trust can lead to amazing things. So no matter what you're going through, choose to trust him. Step into your day and ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of their music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>